Hey everybody, welcome to The Shallow Dive. I'm Megan. I'm Chessie. And this is our second episode and we're excited that you're here. So thank you for joining us for our second episode. And thank you to everybody who listened to the first episode. That was a lot of people that uh, we did not expect. So thank you very much for that. Yes, I wanted to say thank you and thank everyone for being so nice and supportive. Yeah, everybody's been really nice. Um, I'm surprised that everyone has been this nice. We are just doing this for fun and it, it is fun. So we wanted to keep it that way and everyone's been really positive. So thank you for that. We are very appreciative that you have shared it. If you've gone on to iTunes, uh, The Shallow Dive, it's uh, on there now. And if you want to review it, it really helps us out. So thank you so much. Yes. And I was just surprised by how many people did listen to it because I didn't even know that I knew that many people. I didn't either. I was not aware that anyone even checked my social media. So thank you for doing that. And I'm sorry if you are there too long and look at the dumb shit that I post. So sorry about that. But people just love, it's funny because people will come up to me in real life and say, I just love your Facebook. You post the funniest things. I'm like, it's recycled memes, but they You're took like, the I shit just, out of me. I just hit the share button, but thank you. Sh- yeah. Thank you for my creativity. I am, I'm not a content stealer, mm-hmm. but I am a content sharer. So uh, yeah. I, a, a curator, if you I'm will. A, I'm a curator of content not really but if you want to pay me for that then I will (laughs) I will certainly take that (laughs) definitely all right so yeah before we get started there is one thing that I wanted to correct myself from last time um so in the recommendations I was talking about the cold podcast Mm -hmm. and I said it was about Susan Powell and her husband Chris Powell uh his name is actually Josh Powell so I got that name wrong and I just wanted to put it out there also, the fact that we both knew his name was Josh, and you're married to a Josh. Yeah, my husband's I, name I, is Josh. My ex-husband's name is Josh. Yeah. The father of my child's name is Josh. I don't... So we missed that mark We completely. did. My, my bad. But, well, the Chris Watts thing being in the news lately... It, white dude's name Chris can't trust him exactly that's just just the end of that I don't know what else to say about it and uh we did our little correction and thank you for not pointing it out anyone else so yeah (laughs) that was nice of you we're gonna have lots of those yeah just get used to it get used to it we don't know what we're talking about sometimes and when we do we may misspeak so we're human it happens yes and you're not here for facts that's right because you would be at the deep dive right would not be at the shallow dive that's just gonna be our excuse for everything like yeah. We, we don't know what we're talking about. We don't about. know. No. This is for fun. We enjoy talking to one another. We enjoyed that you joined us. So enter at your own risk. You're here. Nobody made you be here and we're glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> but don't come here for facts for sure. Yes. All right. All right. Should should we dive in? Oh we my gosh. Dive in. That should be like our tagline. It is. Should Everybody's we dive got a brand. in? Should we dive into the shallow dive? <laughs> By the way, just this week I have a bit of a cold situation and I sound like when you get the wrong uh, number, I sound like welcome to Verizon Wireless. <laughs> like I don't know what my voice is doing, but it sounds weird in my head, so I'm sure it sounds weird. So if that's a thing, I am up for those jobs too if anybody wants to hire me to be the voice of Alexa. (laughs) The the voice of anything. Of anything. I'll take it. Hire me, please. Okay. 
I am desperate, apparently. <laughs> give <laughs> Please me pay money. Please me for anything. Give me, give me money. Right. Okay. So, Miss Chessie. Yes. Do you want to get us started this week? Of course. Okay. All right. So, this week, I'm going to talk about something that I'm sure anyone who's close to me has heard me talk about before because I'm obsessed with it. But this is going to be about things from my childhood that are a little bit creepy. And also, I like to think that these things formed me into the weird adult that I am today. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, because I was like, a, I was a weird child and I'm still weird. So I'm going to blame it on this stuff. <laughs> and weird is good. You know, when we were kids, we stuck out like sore thumbs if we were weird or different. And now individuality is so cool. And I just, I love your aesthetic. When I first met Aww. you, I was like, this girl is so cool. You've got that like gothic, but like classic gothic creepy vibe, but not oh in a God. bad way. <laughs> That's so nice. Yeah, I loved, I was like, she's got tattoos, her hair, her makeup, everything. So. I am interested to hear what shaped you into the person that you are today. Okay, I feel like we're building it up because now it's just going to be like, that's what shaped you, but it's okay. It's okay. Okay, so the so first... That's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, So the first thing that I'm going to talk about is the Nickelodeon show, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, yes. I loved that show. Yes. I honestly, even as an adult, I have to say it's probably in like my top five favorite shows of all time because that's how much I used to love it. And still love it so yes, yeah I love it I have a t-shirt from that show mm-hmm. like I got not too long ago and I love it yes, yes. I yes I have all, all the things so excited um okay so some facts first um are you afraid of the dark premiered on August 15th 1992 and was created by DJ McHale so thanks DJ <laughs> thanks DJ how old were you in 92 what grade were you in um, I was six, so. Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what math is, but. Um, yeah, I was I, like, I, why is she putting me on the spot? Yeah, I was in second grade. <laughs> but what's easy for dummies like me is that I was born in 84. So when I went to kindergarten, it was 1990. So that's zero. 90 it, yeah. to 91 was kindergarten to first. First <laughs> that, oh to my second God, is that's, 91 to 92. So I don't convenient. ever forget that. Yeah, very for big dummies like me. So my sister yeah. was born in ninety. So that's yes. Yeah, Easy. And that's pretty, I'm like, how old yes. are you? Okay, I know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, so are you afraid of the dark? If you've never seen it, the show was an anthology series about a group of teenagers. They called themselves the Midnight Society, and they took or they met in the woods and they took turns telling each other scary stories. So they would all meet, and each week they would tell a di- or like a different member would tell a story. And then the show would be the story that they were telling, if that makes sense. Ooh, I like it. Yes. Yes. I'm um, just way, way too excited. <laughs> oh, goodness. Me too. I, me too. <laughs> so a lot of different celebrities appeared on Are You Afraid of the Dark before they were like really famous. Ryan Gosling, for instance. Oh, yes. I remember well. <laughs> he was so cute. Um, so yeah, Ryan Gosling, Nev Campbell, Hayden Christensen, Melissa Joan Hart, Alicia Cuffer, Tia and Tamara Maori. Um, oh my gosh. Yes, Will Friedel. So yeah, lots of like 90s teen stars. That's exciting. We're on our I loved them. Dark. And it's cool to watch it back when you didn't know who they were. But if you go back now, you're like, oh my God, that's so-and-so. That's exactly. So yep. So this is just funny, but in every episode before they start the story, they throw some type of power 
powder. They're all around a campfire. So they throw some type of powder into the fire and it like makes the fire burn brighter. And they're like submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. And then they like tell their story. So for some reason, I really wanted to know like what the dust was that they throw into the fire to like make it bigger. So I have seriously Googled this so many times. I'm like, what was the dust that made the fire brighter? And your Google searches. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Welcome to my life. So yes, they, what I've gathered is they used non-dairy creamer, which is weird, (laughs) but I have tested sugar and sugar also works. So if you ever want to pretend you're in the Midnight Society, just throw some sugar onto a campfire and you're good to go. I feel like that needs to happen very soon for us because I am down for it. And I feel like that initiation, like the ritual part was also creepy before they even got into the story. I was like you, because when you're a kid, that belonging of like the group and I loved creepy. So like this, the significance of that submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society and they tell this story with the big burst of flame was so cool. 100%. Like that is something that I was going to say is I feel like why I was so obsessed with this show, which I've always been obsessed with creepy things, but like it just like fit me as a person. Like I wanted to be in the Midnight Society. Like just, so bad. Yes, yeah, so bad. Like telling scary stories in the woods, like around a fire. Like that's like, I don't know. It sounds like a dream. Yes. I love, I love attention if you haven't caught on to that. And as a, especially as a kid now, I, I, I think we just discussed that I was like ah it's a little bit much as an adult but man I love to be the center of attention as a kid and just doing that and seeing that on TV I was like I want to be part of that I want to do that Yes, 100%. So some memories that I have of watching it when I was little. I was obsessed with SNCC, by the way. So SNCC was Saturday Night Nickelodeon. And it would start on Saturday night, I think at 8 o'clock. And it would be from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock. And Mm -hmm. Are You Afraid of the Dark was always in the last slot. So it came on at 9.30. And I have like clearer memories of watching it at my dad's house for some reason. But I remember I would always watch it. And my dad would watch it with me. And I secretly think he liked it too but then my dad's like goal in life when I was little was to like always scare me which (laughs) yeah yeah it might be why I'm like so jumpy as an adult you know whatever is that a thing that dads when you become a father is that something that like gets put in the secret handbook that you know dads get because I swear to god that is I've heard that so many times and my dad was the same way let me scare this innocent child yeah Does your dad have a mustache? Yeah, he did. He did okay. for years and years so, and yeah. years. Yeah, mustaches. You get a mustache. <laughs> and you scare your child. I have to. And you have to go into, I don't know if your dad did this, but made you believe shit that was totally absurd and just kept a straight face. Like just just random absurd shit, like, you know, anything. And you'd be like, really, dad? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the truth. And I would believe, it's a wonder, I mean, I'm dumb as hell, but I, I really was naive as a child. I don't remember him specifically doing that, but I mean, it could oh, have happened. It could have happened. The running dad joke with my dad, he was just, he was an ongoing, like, I will take this joke as far as I can take. It. So yeah, I believed a lot of dumb stuff and I got scared a lot by my dad. Hey, it happens to the best of us. But yeah, my dad, like after I would watch Nick at night, I would always be like slightly afraid. Like I would just yeah. be like uneasy, you know, yes. like going to bed like a little scared. And I mm-hmm. swear he would always just like pop out at me or like whatever. And I would always <laughs> 
always scream. Like I, I remember it very clearly. And I oh, feel, yeah. I feel like he's gonna listen to this and like either laugh or try to deny it. I don't know. Right, right. Don't you deny this? <laughs> yeah. Don't you lie to our faces right now, <laughs> yeah, sir? Exactly. That's funny. Another great thing about Are You Afraid of the Dark is the intro. Like oh. it's so good. The music into it. I don't know copyright laws. I wish we could use the music from that like as our intro to oh, the podcast yeah. like for this episode but I, I feel like we can't do that but it's so good I'll look into it we'll see what happens <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah if if not just go watch the intro on YouTube because yeah. it's awesome it is awesome I love that okay so some of my favorite are you afraid of the dark episodes which I could talk about a lot of episodes extensively um, but some of my favorite are the tale of the dead man's float um, okay. so this is actually another scary thing in a pool so like last week's episode that, scary things i remember in this one dude oh my god that like creepy red monster Mm-mm. i yeah i can picture it clear as day the pool float situation anything like that is always terrifying to me and i feel like it's because of are you afraid of the dark like, yeah anything that i see i'm like something's in the water i just know something's in the water yeah it's a creepy red swamp monster so oh, be careful he's out there yeah so yeah i think i should just really not go swimming because it's like last week in a pool this week in a pool like no swimming yeah, yeah. i don't need real dead bodies i don't need no swamp monsters no. i don't need any part of that no. thank you no um, the next one that I really love is The Tale of Midnight Madness. So this one, it's a story about an old movie theater and they are like going out of business. So they have a plan to like show old movies. So they show the old movie Nosferatu, which is a vampire yes. movie. And the vampire like actually comes out of the screen and terrorizes them. Yes. So I saw this clip on YouTube recently and I was like, I remember that's the, that's the only way I knew who he was because that movie was... You know, he was a character exactly from many moons ago. Yes. Like when I was watching Are You Afraid of the Dark, I didn't know that was Nosferatu, but no. like it was scary as shit. Yeah, and- <laughs> it was terrifying. They made him look just like I think he probably did look. Like it was terrifying. Yeah, it really was. Oh my God. And then another iconic episode is The Tale of Laughing in the Dark, which is a creepy clown episode. So I can picture him vividly. Yes. And I hate him so much. <laughs> and I just hate him I just hate him so much nobody asked him to be here and here he was I just hate it um so one thing that I thought would be fun to kind of like tie up me talking about are you afraid of the dark is to like synopsize one of my favorite episodes but like the thing is I didn't write notes about it so this is just gonna come out of my brain all right so So, that's what we're here for yeah okay so the episode is called the tale of the dangerous soup (laughs) (laughs) and it's literally so absurd like that's like some episodes are so scary and that's why I liked them this one is just absurd okay (laughs) here we go so this episode is about a restaurant and it's a very upscale restaurant and in the beginning you just see all these people like it's very crowded but they're all just eating soup like everyone just comes for the soup that is so weird it's weird so you see like the waitresses walking around and the people are like oh can I order another bowl of soup and they're like sorry one per customer you can only get one bowl and you find out that uh, the bowl of soup is 
$400 a bowl. So okay. people are coming to spend like $400 on this soup. So this is like LA at this point. Oh, right, right. I mean, it didn't look like LA, but no. maybe. It's, isn't the show Canadian? It really is. It is. Yeah. So Nev Campbell is actually in this episode. Campbell's soup. Oh my God. Maybe oh. that's maybe that's what inspired it. They're like, who could we get for the soup episode? <laughs> Nev Campbell. Of course. Come on down. Of course. So another awesome thing about this episode is it heavily features Dr. Vink. So Dr. Vink was a reoccurring character in Are You Afraid of the Dark? And he always played like a different character. I mean, he was always Dr. Vink, but like he had different professions. So in this episode, he was the chef. And so, okay. Dr. Vink has like really tangly long ass gray hair. It's like bedhead that he's slept on for 100 years. So he looks insane. 100%. So he has like this tangly ass gray hair, yellow teeth, like the color of corn. His apron looks like he ran it over with a car. Like it's just disgusting. I love a chef that looks profesh. Oh yeah. Yeah. That looks, he looks very sanitary really clean got it yeah so he comes out and everyone's like congratulating him like yes the soup is amazing he's wearing a medal that he won for the soup (laughs) it's like a fever dream like this is a bad time so everyone loves the soup okay got it so there's like narration in the episode so they're talking about how the restaurant is a great place to work but every once in a while someone just up and quits and you like see people leaving so one day one of the waitresses which her name is Jersey and she's super like loud and has big curly hair of course she and Dr. Vink get in a fight and he's like you can't be a waitress anymore you're too loud which (laughs) rude (laughs) rude he's like I'm gonna promote you I'm gonna tell you the secret of my soup and she's like okay so he takes her in this giant walk-in freezer and he makes her sit in like this chair that it looks like a metal chair that was a torture device from like medieval times so she sits in this chair and he's on the outside of the freezer but he's looking through like a little slat and he starts saying it knows what scares you (laughs) no what scares you and then this like door opens and there's this weird gargoyle statue and it glows and then all of a sudden a guillotine comes and starts swinging towards her head no ma'am and so she's like freaking out and screaming and so nev campbell and this other waiter like come and rescue her and she's like dazed she doesn't know what's happening and they didn't see what was happening either so they're like what were you doing to her she was screaming so he decides to show them the secret of the soup oh for god's sake (laughs) so the male waiter goes in same thing it knows what scares you but what scares the male waiter which i find this creepy um was his dead uncle so you know something creepy happened with his uncle because he was like you were a bad man so like (gasps) something creepy yeah that took a turn it did Mm -hmm. so his uncle is there and he's like freaking out whatever so nev campbell sees this and like freaks out and she's like let him out let him out so she opens the door and like the gargoyle statue like flies away but it's so funny because it is the worst like special effects that you've ever seen in your life I just can't. No. Ugh. No. 
Me either. So it, I mean, but that's the thing though. Like with these, then it was scary. Like we were like, holy yeah. shit, that's so scary. You're like, that's going to come to my house. It, it knows what scares me. It knows what scares <laughs> me with these terrible effects. Like, yeah. Terrible. Hate it. So it flies away and Dr. Vink is like, I found this talisman on my travels and it knows what scares you. And then it extracts the fear and turns it into this liquid. And that's what he's been putting in the soup. It's like, like flop sweat. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> So, <laughs> he's been putting this like liquid fear in the soup and that's why people love it so much so what the so fuck that we feed on others fears like right. that's not a good sign no it's that's not. not probably some social commentary that went way over our heads as children but that's fucked up it is like and also what's funny that struck me as funny and i had a joke but it went away but nev campbell was on party of five and they owned a restaurant called salinger's and i was just like salinger's what's up with this fear yeah. soup you know yeah. <laughs> dr vink in his sweat soup <laughs> oh, God. when you're when you're scared you get a little warm and you sweat so that's just what i thought is he this dude collects fear sweat oh god <laughs> so he, does. he does he does which is funny because josh and i have like inside jokes about this episode because we like it but i call it fear soup instead of fear soup yeah, yeah. <laughs> so fear soup get you some of that fear soup that's yeah. disgusting that's a scary one Yes. So just to tie that up, they end up capturing the little statue and they put it back in the room and they think that they've like defeated it somehow. I'm not, Mm -hmm. I don't really remember. Oh, they face their fears. That's what happened. They face their fears and they're like, okay, whatever. But then Dr. Vink is like, no, it, it still knows what scares you. I'm going to be in business for a long time. And that was the end end like that. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Sorry that that took me so long to talk about Are You Afraid of the Dark? No, I love that one. I have more topics. <laughs> Please. Please go okay. on. So obviously we have to talk about Goosebumps slash yeah, Fear Street do. because... Hell yeah, we do. You weren't like a kid in the 90s if you didn't read Goosebumps mm-hmm. or Fear Street. Although I feel like more girls read Fear Street than oh, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. Goosebumps were fun and they were freaky. Mm-hmm. And when you were a little bit younger, but as you got older, like you're hitting... Cl- not quite teens, I don't feel like, but like even in my teens, I read them. Hell, as an adult, I have some. Oh, so. same. But yeah, you transitioned into Fear Street's some gangster shit. I, that For scares real. me to death. You know what's weird, which I found that this out like researching this episode, is in my head, Goosebumps came out first and then he wrote Fear Street. But no, he actually wrote Fear Street novels first, which I guess I thought it was the other way around because like I read Goosebumps when I was younger yeah. and then like graduated to Fear yeah. Street. But he actually started writing like the teenager books first that's crazy i didn't know that but you're right we read the goosebumps first Mm -hmm. because it was more age appropriate probably and then we graduated to and they became really really popular Mm -hmm. like goosebumps was oh my god it was a phenomenon scholastic book fair or whatever oh my god (laughs) scholastic book fairs take me back like please take me back i want to spend all my money on erasers i'll never use oh god characters on them bookmarks freaking marks i can smell it i can can i i want it i want it in my life I, if I could those make... paper flyers that they would oh. send home like beforehand like hey book fairs coming I would like circle things I wanted hell yeah mm. that was like my Toys R Us toy catalog except for that was yeah. my jam right there like I could yeah. if I could bottle if fear soup is a thing yeah I could if I could get that feeling of that book fair bottled man I don't oh. think I'd ever have another anxiety attack no. I don't think I'd ever have a problem in the world um in case anyone is curious like I was a nerd like I was hey, a nerd did you guys know did you guys <laughs> pick up on the fact that we were fucking nerds 
There, what what's better than two nerds talking about a goddamn book fair <laughs> that came around on their traveling circus van that they dumped out books oh and kiosks set up by by your mom that didn't want to be there but she volunteered to be on the PTA so there she was and pissed and don't spend too much money so it's so yeah. true take me back <sighs> take me back so yes yeah, some things about R.L. Stein who wrote Goosebumps he actually started out writing humor books so he really never intended to write scary books and when he wrote humor books for kids his name was Jovial Bob Stein which is really <laughs> funny because any interview I've ever seen with him in my life he's so deadpan he is like yeah. the opposite of Jovial he's like hello I am R.L. Stein <laughs> yeah he's very even on he, when he writes on Twitter it's just so very hello I am an older man I am yes saying a joke now yeah that is what he's like have a good day yeah it's very stoic and he looks like that too like he (laughs) he looks crotchety yeah he looks so crotchety yeah (laughs) that's a good word and also a weird word crotchety crotch (laughs) crotch That's what we should just call this episode is Crotch. Crotch. Hello, Crotch. All right. Oh, God. So also R.L. Stein was a writer for the Nick Jr. show Eureka's Castle. Which um, I love. I stand Eureka's Castle. Same. Okay. Magellan, the dragon. Magellan, yes. Like those fish that would pop out of the moat. Yes. Fuck. I learned the word moat. That was such a fun yeah. word. I wanted a castle. I wanted a moat. That's all I know. Yeah. I still want those things. Hell yeah. Get away from my house. Yeah. (laughs) I'm calling the law. (laughs) Get me a drawbridge. Lower the drawbridge. (laughs) Um, So yes, I googled to see if any of these books that he wrote were ghost written because there are like 1,000 Goosebumps books and like 8,000 freaking Fear Street books. Mm -hmm. And he denies having them ghost written. He said it takes him eight days to write a Goosebumps book in 10 days to write a Fear Street. Like, well, and to be honest, <laughs> you and I both have read some of the newer ones. That's true. They aren't. Yeah, I mean, there's, but they're I love not them. good. They're not they're, good. They're not even, even Goosebumps and Fear Street aren't really good. There's not structurally sound no. as an adult, but when you're a kid, you don't know any better. No. You just read, and it was fascinating. So yeah, as an adult, you go back and read them and it, I mean, no. yes, I can see where it took eight to 10 days to write these bad boys. So. Yeah. I, I guess mean, that I, tracks. I guess. I guess. <laughs> when he when he passes away, they'll probably reveal the ghost writers of all. Probably. Of but I really well. I'm gonna. I I will take it at face value, and I will try to believe him. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. He denies it. He said that he had an assistant, and his wife helped him edit, but he right. wrote everything. So I bet the wife wrote them all. Yeah. <laughs> if the wife wrote them all, they'd all be structurally sound. That's and right. They would hold up. But hey, right. they. I love them. I still love them. Yes. So yeah, Goosebumps has sold over 400 million copies, which damn, that's a lot. And there's seven spinoff series of Goosebumps, including Give Yourself Goosebumps, which that was like a choose your own adventure series. Which oh, I never liked I as much because I would die yeah. in one second. Yep. And I, they'd be like, if you died, go back to page 17. I'm like, fuck, lady. I don't have all night. No. Like, I have a bedtime. <laughs> Yeah, same. Um, So some of my favorite Goosebumps books are One Day at Horrorland, because that one is about a theme park, and I also love theme parks, so Mm -hmm. I just, I love the the combo. Yep. Um, The Haunted Mask, which is about Halloween. That one's one of my favorites. Yes. Werewolf of Fever Swamp, because I also love werewolves. I just love everything creepy. I do. Yeah, that series embodied what we were as children. Yes. Truly. Yes. I think one of the awesome things about Goosebumps were the covers, because 
because they're they were like bright and colorful and I do think even kids who like didn't really like reading that much were like sucked in because of the covers they were awesome yes and they were illustrated by a man named Tim Jacobus or Jake Jacobus I don't know how to say it forgive me forgive me Tim it's all the same yeah um so props to him Fear Street wasn't quite as successful as Goosebumps but they still sold over 80 million copies and Fear Street was also an anthology series and it was about teenagers who lived on Fear Street in the fictional town of Shadyside fun fact the street was named after a family named the Fear family and the family was cursed so they the curse started in Puritan times because two members of the Fear family burned some ladies at the stake for witchcraft but they were innocent and then they cursed them so that's why everything bad happens on Fear Street. I love everything that those books embody. I yes. love it. There has, there's so much wrong with them now I guess if you went back and looked at like the political correctness of things but man I loved the lore of the Fear family and the good yes, family I, that later yes, came out. Yeah, yes. I loved that whole thing about. I loved those ones that like went into the background. Those were yes. so good. Like, And there was a fire at the mansion and she watched outside I'm like yes give this more I just need more of it I loved it so much do you remember those ones that were like 99 Fear Street and it was about a, yeah. a family that I like remember this vividly because I think it scared me but this family moved into the house this house and they their little brother ended up going missing but they could hear him in the walls in the walls in the yes. walls and they like couldn't figure out how to get him out and then later they like knocked down the walls and they like found his dead body in there yes. like that creeped me out yeah. And I'm pretty sure that house, like, the walls, like, oozed slime or, like, something. And that's the same house where one of the sisters, if I'm not mistaken, put her hand down the garbage disposal. Yes, 100%. And got her fingers chopped off. Yes. 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 That whole, that series, I couldn't think of which part of the series that was, but that one scared me more than anything. The cheerleader ones freaked me out. Mm -hmm. Just... There's because there's horrible accidents that happen and yes. I can't believe I'm like what do you think what what do you think is the root of my anxiety it's like probably yeah because I was 10 years old reading this crazy ass shit about the little brother's skeleton being found in the wall after they could hear him and he was trapped she sticks her hand in a garbage disposal maybe that's what caused my anxiety yes so yes this is what I was reading when I was a child definitely yeah I didn't have an effect at all no <laughs> <laughs> um so the series just started again in 2018 I know you've read the you may now kill the bride i've Mm -hmm. read the first two i haven't read the third one but i've bought it but i mean they're not good but the covers are so good they're gorgeous and the the first one i believe is the only one that i've read and I held the book up like on Instagram and someone's like, is that you? That was funny. I I saw that. Did you see that? They're like, Mm -hmm. you look like her. And I was like, I guess I kind of do, but you don't notice it when it's you. you Right. So apparently I look like the, the girl, the artwork on the first one. Was Mm -hmm. it the now, now kill the bride? Yeah. Kill the bride. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Um, so to tie up this part, some good news for you and some other Fear Street fans. A Fear Street movie just started filming. Oh, so there will be one coming out. I had not heard this. I yep. am very excited. Yeah. It's been in the works for a while. And I was like reading about it and I was like, did this get delayed? Whatever. It No, it just started filming. So it is coming out. I absolutely love that. That's awesome. That's exciting. Very exciting. And then real quick, I have to talk about scary stories to tell in the dark. Hell yeah, you do. Um, So this series of books is freaking iconic in my mind. Like I this, have them. 
Yes, me too. I have the treasury, the three mm-hmm. books in one in the hardcover. Okay, so this series of books was, a, they were based on like folk tales or urban mm-hmm. legends, but they were written for with like a modern twist. So they were written by Elvin Schwartz and illustrated by Stephen Gamble. There is no way that you can talk about scary stories to tell in the dark without talking about the illustrations. No, Because absolutely. that is what fucking made this book. Like, if you've never seen these illustrations i cannot describe them to you but they were scary especially for a children's book they're like black and white and like kind of sketchy and Mm -hmm. like it wasn't anything that you could relate to being a real thing like there were like monsters that came out of people like someone's nightmares like that's what they looked like they were freaking scary it was something that your little brain could not have possibly imagined and didn't they even like when they re-released those books took out the illustrations to make it less scary which is ruining it 2011 they re-released the books and replaced the art because this book series was very controversial which I'll get into in a minute and they were some of the most banned books like from that era but when they replaced the art I remember I was in Barnes and Noble with my friend Chelsea it was around Halloween and they had a display of these books and I picked them up I'm like oh my god I love scary stories to tell in the dark and I noticed that they replaced the art and I threw a goddamn fit I was like no this is wrong this is everything that's wrong like you cannot replace the artwork in that book it's not the same book it's no you can't dissect it like that because the stories are important but the artwork is also equally important yes um so yeah like I said these books were very like controversial and very banned um the series topped the American Library Association's list of the top 100 most frequently challenged books for 1990 to 1999 10 years later it's still was in the top 10. So they were challenged for reasons of insensitivity, occult and Satanism, violence, and being unsuited to the age group that it was made for. Um, Well, they're not wrong, but hey. Yeah. Like, Like, we turned out okay. Like, we're all right. Yeah. (laughs) A quote from a newspaper. There's no moral to the stories, former elementary school teacher and mother Sandy Vanderberg told the Chicago Tribune. The bad guys always win and they make light of death. There's a story called Just Delicious about a woman who goes to a mortuary, steals another woman's liver and feeds it to her husband. That's sick. (laughs) Sandy, calm the fuck down. Calm down, Sandy. Sandy Vanderberg sounds like a fucking villain in Carmen Sandy. Yeah, for real. Like, Like, stop. With really hairsprayed hair. So just stop. Teased it straight to Jesus. Yeah. She's definitely wearing like full, like I'd made this dress myself. Calm down, Sandy. Yes. Calm down. (gasps) You know, it's always those people in the news. I never in my life have seen such (laughs) blasphemy. Yes. That is what that woman sounds like. So I'm sure a lot of people know that there is a movie coming out on August 9th this year. A Scary Stories movie. Right birthday. Yes. Yes. Um, So it's written and produced by Guillermo del Toro. So the perfect oh. person to be involved with it. Yes. Um, they showed a lot of the trailers, which there's a lot of short little tre- teaser trailers. They showed them during the Super Bowl. So a lot of people are freaking out about that. So yeah, I will be seeing that on opening day. 100%. Yes. That'll be really creepy, I'm sure. Yes. And there's also a documentary coming out sometime this year. I watched the trailer for it and it looks really good. Um, so it says it demonstrates the three main topics about this book um, being the stories the art and the controversy so very intriguing um when I was watching 
the trailer, one of the people being interviewed, um, a quote from her was, the books still have power now to adults, I think, but to a kid, they're just this perfect blend of frightening and mysterious and a little bit beautiful. And I think that is the perfect way to describe them. That is a much better quote than Sandy Vanderberg. Yeah. I feel like that's a, a what a beautiful way to respect an art. And, and you don't even have to agree with it. You don't even have to read it and can still appreciate the beauty of something that's just weird and wonderful yes because that is exactly what those books are that Mm -hmm. they're they're weird and wonderful i love them um yes when i was little i'm pretty sure that my older sister ginger she had this book and she either gave it to me or i took it so sorry yeah my friend um (laughs) my friend lisa's sister sarah gave me copies of this book because I think she and her sisters all had had copies or they they grew up on them as well. And I was fortunate enough to snag their dad's Stephen King, a lot of his books from from their dad who just didn't have enough room for all of his books. And so my husband reads a lot of Stephen King and those came with it. So, well, hey, there yeah. you go. Bonus. Pretty exciting. Yes. So, yeah, that is actually all I have this week, which was a lot. So I'm sorry. No, I loved it. That's <laughs> awesome. And another book series to to bring up that's that nobody remembers. Members, but I'll, I'll even put a copy of the cover up on the Instagram to see if anybody, if it rings any bells. I read these in third grade um, and then read a couple of stories out of them recently and don't know why the hell they were in our school libraries because they were. They're called The Scariest Stories You've Ever Heard. Oh, yeah. three volumes. And Bitch, they have creepy... I, I have those books. Are they not the scariest fucking things you've ever read? To me, they yeah. are because I was scared as a child. Yeah, they're really good, though. They're so good. And they're kind of similar of like the little short stories yep. about kind of like a lore thing. And at the end, something happens and you're like, holy shit, that was terrifying. Yeah. So I do have those. And I remember getting so scared. When I think of those books, I think of, you know, how you could get milk or juice in elementary school mm-hmm. for like 25 cents. I spilled red juice on one of the copies. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, I've now, now I've ruined the book. And I had to like pay 10 cents. And you're like, now library. I get to keep it. Yeah, it's mine now. So I'm taking that. But yeah. yeah yes, I, I have those juice. books. They're amazing yeah they're terrifying so i love that same that was a good topic i remember all of that well good and speaking of uh since we talked a little bit about the 90s because that's when we grew up i decided to do a topic or or talk about something that i feel like shaped me or they at least bring good memories of my childhood um which is Nick at Night. Yes. Um, so Nick at Night is, you know, you can go into the history of it. And I was kind of reading of it. And it, it again, this is the shallow dive. I don't care. Uh, basically, Nick at Night was created because of an evening they were, you know, a lot of channels would either be like the American flag or it would yep. just be, they would share channels. So every channel broadcast from the same satellite, it would be like nothing on the screen after a certain time. But they were trying to gear it towards who is awake of an evening, adults and sometimes older adults. So in the 90s, it actually started in the 80s, but in the 90s, what laid on Nick at Night shaped me because I would stay up late. I was raised an only child. There were no other kids in the house. So after softball, especially in the summers, I think of like block party summer that Nick Nick at Night did. I, I would stay up all night and just watch Nick at Night until it ended. And some of the shows that stick with me and I didn't want to cover all of them because they did swap them out a lot um, the f- I'm gonna go just touch on three of them the three I chose uh, one of them 
was I Dream of Jeannie because not only did I like creepy stuff, like I'm going to go into the Munsters later, like probably not in this episode, but the Munsters was my favorite because it was creepy and it had all the elements of like turning into a bat and a creepy basement that had a laboratory, those type of things. But I Dream of Jeannie had a cool genie that had, you know, she she could pop in and out of that badass bottle and, you know, she her, the colors were cool once it went to color. So I wanted to go into a little bit of history of that and just because it's, I don't know, it's kind of fun. So uh, did you watch all of that? Did you watch Nick at Night? Definitely. Like, I'm so glad you chose to talk about this because I also love Nick at Night. Like, I was also a child who did not sleep. So Mm-mm. yeah, I would just stay up all night watching yes. everything on Nick at Night. Yes, Nick at Night was awesome. And especially when, okay, so I Dream of Jeannie ran on Nick at Night from 94 to 2001. So I was in fourth grade to my sophomore year. So the early to mid 90s is when I really watched a lot of Nick at Night. Um, you know, we grew up in the era that we didn't have the internet at our houses. We didn't have, you know, any streaming services. We didn't Which, have thank TiVo. God. That yeah, I, because yeah. I agree. Now looking back, because you had to wait for something to come on TV, and that became a special thing. 100%. So like SNCC, TGIF, you had to, it was going to, it's an event. And nothing is an event now, mm-hmm. because it can be like, we can turn that on whenever. Yeah. Which is convenient, and I love convenience. But I wanted to touch on these shows because they were cool to me, because my mom grew up in the 60s and 70s, and these are, it was so funny that they aired shows that she watched mm-hmm. and I was this was before TV land this kind of bred into what TV land is and made the older shows come back but I thought how cool is this so essentially Nick at Night became a thing because they got rights to shows and would air them of an evening again for the older crowd but as an elementary school kid yep. I thought these were the coolest fucking shows on the planet because they started out in black and white they went to color later everything was really cool looking I just loved it so I dream of Jeannie again ran it on Nick at Night from 94 to 01. It was originally on from 1965 to 1970 and it was on NBC. Barbara Eden was beautiful. She I was. Loved her. loved her. She's still alive actually but she in her heyday she was just gorgeous. Um, she and Larry Hagman were the stars and Larry Hagman went on to be famous for Dallas and that type of thing later. Uh, so she I, I didn't really know the history of like I remember watching it from the beginning because they played the pilot but I couldn't recall after all these years what the premise was truly was and basically Barbara Eden was a 2000 year old genie Larry Hagman was an astronaut they can't understand each other until Tony expresses Tony the, his his character expresses his wish that Jeannie could speak English which all of a sudden she does so oh. okay and then she blinks and causes a recovery helicopter to show up to rescue him because he was stranded and he thanks her and tells her she's free but this is so silly but Jeannie who has fallen in love with Tony at first sight after being trapped for 2,000 years because she's gonna climb him like a tree because that's the first man that she's (laughs) she's like bitch I'm in love so she pops her ass back in her bottle and rolls it into Tony's duffel bag so she can accompany him back home so she was a stowaway in his bag And I think it's just so fucking fun. I don't know. It's so silly. And one of the first things she does in like a subsequent episode is break up Tony's engagement to his commanding general's daughter. And then she's never heard of again. Because they just were like, we're not even diving into that. So they probably should have just had him be single. But okay, Right. But I guess we're going to make this 
complicated because right. now it's like, damn, Jeannie. <laughs> right. <laughs> Calm down. So um, just a little background. The series was created by Sydney Sheldon. It was in response to the great success of ABC's Bewitched. So oh, okay. I didn't know that they, I knew they aired around the same time, but it was created to rival that because, you know, even then the networks had to have something in competition with their other networks. And so... Bewitched was on ABC. NBC creates this. The first season was in black and white, which I thought was just awesome. I don't know. It's so silly. Like, now I don't care if it's black that's, and white or color. That's what I was thinking, too, because, like, now, God, I I don't know what happened to me, but I have, like, no patience for anything. Mm-mm. And, like, I don't I don't know. But I can't really picture myself sitting down and watching a black and white show now. No. No, but when I was younger, I was about it. Like, I was very interested and loved it. all these shows. Yes. I would, like... Like binge watch Nick at night for like all night yeah it could go like five hours at yeah. the end of it because they did run it pretty long they did so that that was what's so funny and I didn't have anything to do and especially in the summers you know I was I didn't have to get up so I would stay up all night what I thought was really cool because you know there's all these like fun fact articles or whatever out there but I wondered about her bottle because it was beautiful and I mm-hmm. thought you know the genie bottle it's like the it's a big piece of of the show it was a Jim Beam bottle that is funny. In 1964, Hollywood director Gene Nelson was working on I Dream of Jeannie and it had not yet come out until the next year. So he's, they're getting ideas that she needs a bottle. He walks past a liquor store and every Christmas, Jim Beam would put out like a holiday collection and that happened to be the bottle that year. He paid $5.99 for it. Wow. And there were an estimated 12 bottles used over the series and recently one of them sold for 37 thousand dollars at an auction wow so when it was in black and white they kind of just didn't paint the bottle up too much because the the budget was small all the effects you know with her poofing out of the room or whatever that took up all their budget so they slapped this fancy little bottle in the series and then later on painted it a little bit different color but you can go online and see what it looked like when it was a Jim Beam bottle and how people were trying to snatch them up after they figured that out so I never would have thought that thought that was pretty cool something that ran a lot in these damn shows even into the 90s like just every show you can think of genie had an evil twin also named genie because all female genies are named genie (laughs) because originality my god that was creative barbara eden was in a brunette wig i remember that mm -hmm. it cracks me up she wore a different color of outfit and i forget now but um the original genie wore pink and maroon and i think the twin was like in blue or green or whatever but slap the evil twin colors the evil twin yes you have to go to evil twin school you have to be brunette yes (laughs) because dark hair yeah dark hair is always evil that is so stupid but so funny to me because i always love those episodes i think they're so silly like i'm like look it's her twin they did that in full house Mm, they've done you know yeah they slapped it remember when they slapped that brunette wig on Michelle yes. and she's like the Italian cousin yes <laughs> so stupid <laughs> which again that was actually twins but still stupid okay but I love it Barbara Eden got trapped in the bottle more than one time so the set that was you know the cushions and her little bottle was just like a prop on set and you had to let her out because it was a box type thing and they would go to lunch or whatever and leave her in there and capture her screams like let me out please let me out and use it in the show oh come on that's too much because men rude everything (laughs) like let a bitch out okay yeah what if she had to pee I mean my god 
God. And of course they did, you know, of course they did. Some stupid things that I wrote down, which is, it doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but there was just funny things that looking back are so funny. There was a big lion that came to set for some thing they did. He was old and toothless and harmless, but the entire crew was scared of him. But except for Barbara Eden, who he curled up next to her, put his head in her lap. Everyone ran. Larry Hagman could not take this lion. Big, can you imagine an old toothless ass lion? I'd be taking that lion home. <laughs> yeah, it was a big kitty cat and she yeah. just was like, it's fine. I would probably be scared because, you know, wild animals are dangerous. Well, but this that's was the true. 60s, so he was 900 pounds. So big kitty. So she just, she just pretended like it was no big deal. Everyone else did not want to be on set when that animal was there and speaking of Larry Hagman and his on-set antics he drank way too much on set and I assure you he probably had a problem but he was frustrated with the crappy scripts and just like the recycling of storylines because this was a very like feel-good show it was silly obviously you know it was low budget at the beginning and he just I don't know what Larry Hagman thought he was doing like what show he thought he was on but you know you're um just on a silly you know sitcom what do you I don't know he pissed all over the set oh yeah so it wasn't just like I'm not happy with this it was let me destroy property like an idiot he chased actual nuns visiting visiting the set of the flying nun with an axe and was cussing at them holy shit yeah so I don't understand how he got away with it but right people people get away with all kinds of shit he was this is so stupid he was dubbed the mad monk of Malibu for eccentric behavior like driving his Harley to shop for groceries while wearing a chicken suit And so he didn't go on to Dallas till 1978. So before then, I don't know what he was like on Dallas, but he was an asshole. And something else about the time frame that this aired, Barbara Eden, and I think most people know this, was not allowed to show her belly button because she did have the midriff outfit, Mm -hmm. but legally or whatever. I don't know if it was, they tested it with the audiences. And of course you had to be very conservative. So, so that was one of my shows. I did, I did really like I Dream of Jeannie. Yes, that was a good one. Yeah. Like, like the Goosebumps book had the, the pretty colors and the awesome artwork I feel like those shows were eye-catching to me as a child because the fascination of the black and white and then when they moved to color it was that technicolor it was yeah really vibrant that's one of my favorites my other favorite is my mom's favorite my mom told me actually this weekend that when she was little my grandmother would tell my mom later how much she loved I Love Lucy Mm-hmm. And so my mom was born in 53. So this came out 51 to 57. So mom was very, very little. And uh, they said that anytime they were able to turn on a television set and get I Love Lucy, that was something that my mom really liked. And then I turned out to really like it. It also ran from 94 to 2001. And so same time as I Dream of Jeannie, it ran on CBS. It was the first show to use the three camera format. Oh. So it was all single cam beforehand. And that was due to, I believe, the shooting location. There was some thing where Lucy didn't want to move to New York, even though it was set in New York. She wanted to stay in California. So they the, the three-camera format was first done on that show. The comedies had a laugh track added, but I Love Lucy decided to be creative. So they wanted a live studio audience read, rather than the inserted laugh track. And they filmed each episode start to finish, had very little retakes. They did the show in front of 300 people, each filming. So they were always in front of people. People. So that was all, you know, I don't know that they ever filtered in a, a laugh track. They used the three cameras. So all of this is kind of inventive for that time. And um, she also really, that was the first show that had reruns because when she was on maternity leave, 
the network expected every week to have telev- a television show out. So when they needed to release a show, they started running reruns. And so wow. that's how reruns started. No one else had done that. Um, it ended in 1957, of course, at number one on the Nielsen rating scale. So they went out at number one, which is pretty rare. I think there was maybe other two that did that. I don't know how it is now, but it's a big it, Yeah, deal. it's rare when shows do that because they freaking way overstay their welcome. And then by the end, it's horrible. Yeah, it's like, well, it dipped off in the fourth. Let's do four more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, please keep subjecting them and the rest of us. I want people to have a job, but I don't want someone to go on a series that the, you can tell when people don't care anymore. The writers right. get sloppy. The actors don't care. So that runs it into the ground. So they didn't do that, really. Again, this was inventive. So this was all very early. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the charm. Lucille Ball was 41 when the first episode aired. So don't quit your daydream, oldies. Hey. <laughs> we're never too, never too old to do this. Another sign of the times, just as Barbara Eden could not show her belly button, Lucy had to be called expecting and not pregnant on TV because wow. that was not a nice word or it was not a, you know, a, a very kind way of saying it. You know, everything had to be glossed over. So mm-hmm. expecting was a PC way of saying you were knocked up, I guess. <laughs> so every episode where Lucy was pregnant had to be reviewed by a minister and a rabbi to make sure that it wasn't offensive offensive to anyone's sensibilities i guess do you know in australia they call being pregnant up the duff i'm sorry <laughs> like d-u-f-f yeah up the duff i'm up the duff <laughs> yeah well something went up your duff to yeah. get you there so <laughs> yeah i'm up the duff i love other countries <laughs> sayings because they are so foreign to my ears right like literally and figuratively they are just up the duff mm-hmm. i am now going to change the name of the podcast to up the duff <laughs> with megan and jess no, just the title of this episode crotch yeah. slash yeah. up the duff Cro- crotch up the duff well <laughs> oh, no that's you bad. guys we've made it <laughs> no one's listening anymore at this no, point so they turned it off a while they, ago yeah they were done uh so one of my favorite epi- episodes of i love lucy is where they are smashing grapes i think it's called lucy's italian movie. yes i love that one i love that one it's very silly a lot of hers are silly and there's a lot of classics like the vitamita vegemin one and the chocolate, the chocolate. One. yes yeah but i love the smashing grape one and i don't know it made me laugh as a kid it makes me laugh now but she like almost in real life choked to death in that pool of the grapes oh been because a grapes went up her nose and oh, she's no. down in the liquid and i don't think they realized until they cut she she struggled that woman could have aspirated on a damn grape but we never would have had another oh no episode. what a way to go out what happened to i love lucy well <laughs> lucille ball choked on a grape and that was it <laughs> yeah can you imagine no uh, whatever that's so silly uh desi arnaz wore lifts in his shoes to appear taller and was reported to frequently have used sex workers oh so no shade to that but you're married and famous and i know that happens a lot but like Men are real cute when they pull that bullshit, but Lucy knew about it, supposedly, allegedly. Please don't sue me. Anybody from the... (laughs) Anybody from anywhere. Anyone left over, please. Allegedly everything. So I guess she confronted the guy that that obtained the escorts or otherwise the sex workers for him at a party. She did say something to him, like quit quit pimping to my husband or whatever so that's you know reported from people who were there so that's how that got into the lore quit pimpin the sequel to big quit. pimpin <laughs> quit pimpin the third one is still pimpin so 
<laughs> so she didn't like that, as anyone who's married to someone that they love would not appreciate. And she was the first person to ever appear on a TV Guide cover. And she was the first woman to ever run a major, major TV studio, which was Desilu Productions. And so I wondered what happened to Desilu, because that's been 100 years ago in my book. It was the original name of a television production company now called CBS Television Studios. It's a division of CBS Corporation wow. to this day. So I thought she was, I love Lucy. And I know that's the name of the show, but I really I, do. I too love Lucy. I also love Lucy. We love yeah. Lucy. And they would even do in block party summers, they'd be do like Lucy Tuesdays and Bewitched mm-hmm. Wednesdays. I remember that. Where yeah. they would do like, that was your first taste at least for me of binge watching binge yep yeah so it got you into that like I'm gonna watch five episodes of happy days on Thursday or whatever yep. so I love god that. I loved happy days too by I the way. did too the uh, Fonz are you kidding me I just I like the whole 50s aesthetic so yeah that, that one it. was a good one that one was on Thursdays um when I was a kid loved that one I was amazed that Opie Taylor was a teenager like it you know what I mean like I watched Andy Griffith as a kid and I'm like wow he grew up and he has mm-hmm. another show I don't know I thought it was cool to see <laughs> an actor grow up and still be acting I don't know I just mm-hmm. thought it was neat as a kid to see actors in multiple things because I had no self-awareness right. whatsoever so that was a good one and of course I have to talk about my last one here is Bewitched of course I said that weird Bewitched like Bewitched ba- Bewitched <laughs> like what am I saying? <laughs> I sound like those J Booty Dubs. Banoodle. Um, this is one of my favorites because I love witch everything. So Same. Witch, witch, witch everything. Bewitched is obviously the ABC show to the I Dream of Genies. It was counterpart. 1964 to 1972. I did not write down. Um, yes, I did. I lied. It was actually on Nick at Night from 89 to 92 and then picked up in 94 to 2000. So the 94 to 2000, 2001 is really my mm-hmm. my time to shine. I loved that. So Bewitched obviously is about a witch named Samantha who's married to a mortal named Darren and it goes through their lives in their unusual household. People went crazy over Elizabeth Montgomery who played Samantha. They went crazy over her nose wiggles and the fun characters and all the magic. And that was, I love it. Magic was why I was there. So it went on for eight seasons which was unprecedented that that was the first time it was the longest running supernatural themed series of the 60s and 70s just like Barbara Eden played Jeannie's twin and I dream of Jeannie with a brunette wig guess what happens Elizabeth Montgomery <laughs> slapped on a brunette wig and played Samantha's cousin Serena and Serena was evil ish and I fucking lived for Serena <laughs> Because if you put a villain in there, I'm all for it. I loved villains. And that's probably why I was such a hateful bitch, like, in high school and stuff. Because I thought oh I was like... Oh, my God. Maybe that is what listen, happened to me. Listen, I feel like I had a grudge on my shoulder because I was living in my own sitcom and I was delusional. And I thought I was Serena in that brunette wig. <laughs> so I was brunette and, well... Every show in the 90s did this. I swear to God, this was so silly. But I did love that part of it. The brunette wig on a twin or cousin. That's so funny. And Samantha's famous nose wiggle, we know, um, was just Elizabeth Montgomery doing this twitch that producers noticed she did when she was nervous. And they sped up the film and added a xylophone sound. I was just going to say, they always had the sound when she did it. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I am impressed. Color me impressed. (laughs) I thought she just did that. As a kid, you don't know what anything is. I didn't know 
anything about people wearing wigs on TV besides the brunette ones. Right. But, you know, I just can't believe. So You're like, this show is real life. I was like, watch her. She's magic. Mm -hmm. Her nose wiggles. And then you try it in the mirror. You Mm -hmm. can't do it. You are a mere mortal. Mm -hmm. What a piece of shit you are for not being able to. I was like, well, I've failed. So so my third favorite character, I'm going to go backwards is Aunt Clara. I don't know if you remember the little old lady that was obsessed with doorknobs and her magic was going out because she was getting older, which makes no sense because Samantha and her mother and Dora were supposed to be thousands of years old, supposedly, or hundreds at least. She must have been millions of years yeah, old. Yeah, so so poor poor Aunt Clara. Her, her um, the actress that played her was Marion Lorne. She had this thing with doorknobs in her real life. And so she had a thousand antique doorknobs in a collection. And so Aunt Clara would have these, just pull random fucking doorknobs out of her purse and just all her magic went bad. So she would mess everything up. I loved her because she was this forgetful, like wringing her hands old lady. And she was so cute. So I loved Aunt Clara. Everything ended in disaster because of Aunt Clara because she would just fuck everything up. (laughs) And I loved her. But she died sadly in 1968 and they never replaced her in the show they didn't do because you know back then they replaced everybody which we'll get to because there is a big replacement right. this motherfucker and i'm not happy uh-oh <laughs> gladys kravitz is a icon the neighbor the nosy neighbor every time my cat looks out the window i'm like quit being a fucking yeah. gladys kravitz and get your goddamn head back in the blinds god i'm gonna start calling my sister that because she's yeah. like the freaking solitary neighborhood watch she's yes. like looking all peeping over. listen gladys get out of the window <laughs> yeah gladys, on, gladys. <laughs> gladys kravitz would look out the window and she'd always see the shit samantha would do but then by the time she would report it to her husband he was either reading the newspaper and just didn't believe her and it would be over so every time she'd see some crazy shit she would just be horrified and shocked and no one would listen to her so I loved her um she was replaced the actress was replaced by another one later because um when Alice Pierce took the role of Gladys Kravitz she had ovarian cancer and did not tell anyone and her co-workers did not know she was sick and she only lived two years after that so she was replaced by another actress and they were both really really funny like they were so good loved that one and Alice even got a outstanding supporting actress Emmy after her death so they did recognize her work on Bewitched and I think it's pretty well known that speaking of the switches and the character changes two different actors played Samantha's husband Darren Mm -hmm. Dick York was the first Darren Dick Sargent was the second Darren do you remember that part in Wayne's World (laughs) because I owned Wayne's World on VHS and Wayne goes Dick York Dick Sargent Sergeant York that's an old movie from the 40s Sergeant York is and I don't know why I put that together in my head (laughs) every fucking time I hear Dick York and Dick Sergeant so basically the reason why they replaced Dick York is he suffered a really bad back injury so he was on a movie set um in 59 he was filming a movie he tore some muscles in his back he never quite recovered so from the third season of bewitched york had increasing health issues and he had a painkiller addiction you know because these things go hand in hand sometimes right so they wrote his scenes and i guess if you go back and look now darren is either sitting or lying down in a lot of the scenes because he was in a lot of pain he ended up being away frequently on business as a result too so either he's not around or he's sitting lying Mm -hmm. down in 1969 york collapsed during filming and he never returned after that you know he had the painkiller addiction he had the major injury he did not fully recover from that i don't think and he did die of complications of emphysema in 92 so he was 63 years old he was replaced by dick Sargent. he was a 
originally offered the role and they weren't, I guess he turned it down at one point. The ratings just never recovered the switch. Right. So it just, people didn't. And what's so silly is back in the 90s on Nick at Night, they had all those bumpers, like all those silly. They did. Those little like um, games or you can call in and you could vote for which Darren was your favorite. I and remember. I truly, do you remember thinking, I'm going to make a difference. If I was allowed to call. I get his ass off this show so fast. This show had been <laughs> over. This dude died two years before this hit Nick at Night. Um, I remember voting for um, what is like the award show on Nickelodeon? Like, oh, the Kids Choice Awards. Kids Choice Awards. Yeah. Yes, I remember calling in and voting for that and being like, yeah. I have to vote. I've made a difference here. Yes. My vote counts. So yes. they did that with the Darrens, like the better Darren. To Darren one is four two zero one, and Darren two call four two zero two. It's the silliest thing because it makes no, it has no bearing on anything. <laughs> But they were keeping us all engaged because, bitch, I was in for it. So Dick Sargent replaces him. He made headlines in 91 when he came out as gay on National Coming Out Day. He um, he died of cancer in 94. People said it was of AIDS because he's gay. And, you know, everyone back then thought that was the only reason that gay people died. So you fucking idiots. Anyway. I'm rolling my eyes. You yeah, just can't I, see yeah, it. Yeah, please. I can't. I put, he came out as gay on National Coming Out Day. So good for him, Darren, number two, you actual trailblazer. I don't know why I think I'm so clever. <laughs> you are. So silly. So they lost interest. The writers lost interest. The audience lost interest. Um, the episodes started being copies of previous Bewitched episode plots or flat out copies of I Love Lucy. They stole storylines from them and used them because they just didn't care. I don't know if it's because they were contractually obligated to continue or what it was but that's kind of sad but again it's this silly sitcom it's not a it's not that deep so right my favorite character on bewitched my favorite i don't know if i went to the second one yeah gladys was my second one mm -hmm. aunt claire is the third indora samantha's mother mm -hmm. not samantha not darren one or two this bitch <laughs> this bitch the costume the makeup the better than you attitude I loved it all she was a flat out bitch I remember she, her being a bitch did you not just love her look when they went to color bitch she was everything mm -hmm. Agnes Moorhead played her I lived for Agnes Moorhead her name would pop up on the screen I'm like Agnes I love it she was the best <laughs> And my favorite part about Endora, not her name and the way she looked was awesome. I thought Endora was really cool. But she would hardly ever call Darren by his first name, like his real name. She would get his name close but incorrect just to show that she didn't care about him and that she disrespected him. That's hilarious. Him. Power bitch move. Power bitch move. And a typical fucking mother-in-law. She could care. And she just could. The way she delivered her lines was very that old school Hollywood. And she called him things like Dobbin. <laughs> <laughs> Dur Durwood, <laughs> Delmore, Daryl, you know, she'd get really close. Oh Any D name. Dobbin. She, she, Dobbin. Dobbin. She kills me. She only called him Darren eight times in eight fucking seasons. Oh, God. The okay, disrespect. If if anyone just heard me snort, I do that when I laugh. So, <laughs> yeah. like, excuse me. I'm sorry. Well, and I'm not cutting it out either. So. No, don't edit that out. No, no. We are who we are. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, so Dick Embrace York and, me. Embra embrace <laughs> me. Dick York and Agnes Moorhead, who played Endora, really did get along in real life. So they actually had a great relationship. But um, when York was replaced, Moorhead was not thrilled. And she did not like Dick Sargent. So she, the audience, the writers. I hope Dick Sargent God, liked I feel Dick. bad for him. I do too. Because to be honest, he did look like Dick York. 
He looked a lot like him. And I don't think he was awful by any means. It was a silly show. So who cares? So I enjoyed them both. But I'm sorry, Dick Sargent. I did vote for Dick York. So <laughs> you voted for Darren number one. Yeah, it went nowhere. Um, that vote died at, <laughs> at Nick at night. So um, Endora wore this 8.5 carat diamond brooch. And when Agnes Moore had died in 1974, she left that big ass brooch to Elizabeth Montgomery. She she wore it right in the center of her of her collar. And I always thought that was, I don't know, I can't explain how fucking pumped I am to this day about that woman's look. It was, her makeup was ridiculous. She was total, totally in drag. Just beautiful. So the Maybe bewitch, you should be her for Halloween. Listen, I think that's a very good idea. I'm writing, yeah. you see my little notepad? I'm writing this down. A very good idea. I think I might do that. If I had the money to put all my effort into a Halloween costume, I think that would be the best one. Not only was the script recycled, you know, they just gave up, like, phoning it in. The Bewitch set was recycled. And, I mean, I understand that more because you're not going to build a new one for every show, especially then on a low budget. But it was featured in the movie Gidget and some of the Gidget spinoffs of Gidget Goes to whatever. <laughs> Bumfuck each other. I don't know where she's... <laughs> I don't know where Gidget went or what she was where'd, doing. Where'd Gidget go? But that fucking patio furniture is familiar is all I'm saying. So they used the I Dream of Genie or I Dream of Genie used that set as well too. So they phoned it in hard up in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Montgomery was re- ready to quit in the fifth season, but they they offered her more money. She was a mother of three. She was tired of playing the same shit, but a bitch has to pay the bills, That's so right. she stayed. Oh, and so get this. So I was going to tell you, speaking of 90s, this goes right into my story because Friday night I took my mom to see the 30th anniversary of Clint Black, the country singers. Oh, yeah. I saw Can't, your pics. Yeah. His Killing Time tour came here to town. And uh, I grew up on country music. My mom, you know, 90s country was awesome. My mom played it a lot in the car. We had a lot of mm-hmm. long car rides. So Clint Black was a big deal. And we saw him. And it was really, really good. He's still got it. And so I'm like writing these notes and finishing up my notes. And the reason it tied in was because there was a spinoff called Tabitha about Darren and Samantha's daughter. They didn't even have that Aaron, whatever her name was one of the twins that played Tabitha as a child they didn't have her play Tabitha but the woman that played her guess who the fuck played Tabitha in the spinoff Lisa Hartman who's now Lisa Hartman Black who's Clint Black's fucking wife whoa and I didn't even know it's Listen, the matrix I'm I am in a simulation <laughs> yeah for real and, and no literally no one else would care about that but since we brought this up I'm like holy shit I just saw your husband I mean, Tabitha it's a, it's a weird fucking coincidence I would I would say so yeah so full circle moment for me the little things that make me happy <laughs> but yes. that didn't go very long Tabitha it wasn't the real Tabitha and it was a very short-lived spinoff it didn't work out it was not like Joni loves Chachi whatever very long but so the legacy lives on there's a statue of Samantha flying on her broomstick in Salem Massachusetts that was oh, un- I need to go it's there it was unveiled in 2005, which was the 40th anniversary of the show. It is not nearly as creepy as that Lucille Ball one. Have you ever seen the original one they put in a park somewhere that is... I think so, yes. I think they redid that statue or replaced it. Well, that's it. probably a good thing. My God. You want to talk about the stuff of fucking nightmares? <laughs> Holy put that, shit. Put that on our Instagram. Yeah, I will put old Lucy up there and Bewitched because she's on the, you know, the moon she rides mm-hmm. in on the cartoon in the beginning. I love the beginning. Yes. The intro was so good. The intro... 
was so good. The music was good. It made me happy. The cartoon of them, you know, they're like dancing around. It's so cute. Visually, stuff sticks with you as a child. That it stuck does. with me. So there, there is that statue. She's on the moon. She's on her broom. Um, it is in Salem, Massachusetts. And I really, maybe we'll go there. We should go to Salem I mean, sometime. it's literally on my bucket list. Yeah, I've never gone and I would love to. So, so since we like that witchy shit, Hell we yeah. should go. We could make a great episode out of that. Hell yeah, we could. <laughs> Elizabeth Montgomery died in 95. So basically most of these people died around the time I was watching their shows for the first time. Like right. in the not- It's crazy. She had cancer. She was an advocate for gay rights. She advocated for AIDS patients and volunteered during the peak of the AIDS crisis. So what a fucking awesome yep. lady she was. She died of cancer as well as 85% of the cast and crew of Bewitched, apparently. Wow. So I don't know if that's a coincidence, but they call it the Bewitched curse. And there's just a little bit of statistics on that. Too many curses. Too many curses. We did curses last week that has no room here today. No. <laughs> so, um, and I have to mention, and I don't mean to besmirch the good name of Bewitched, but Nicole Kidman and Will Oh, I, I was wondering if you were going to bring this up. They did do a Bewitched movie in 2005, the 40th anniversary of the show, and it was a huge flop. I just wrote, stop trying to make reboots happen, Gretchen. They're not going to happen. <laughs> like, stop. I haven't seen it, but I'm pretty sure it was either nominated or it won a Razzie. It did. It did, I believe. Yeah, I read that in the notes like it it was a huge flop and there was no chemistry between those two and it just didn't I mean he's not I don't know it was does Nicole Kidman have chemistry with anyone Nicole Kidman is a goddamn robot she is she really is she seems polite and kind and she's happier there mm-hmm. but she's slightly amused and she has nothing else to say to you <laughs> <laughs> she her wigs though Speaking of wigs in Hollywood, she's been wearing one for many, many years. And whoever does her wigs, I'm telling you, RuPaul talks about Nicole Kidman's wigs all the time on his podcast. And I see it now. And I'm just, I love it. Because her hair is very curly and wild and Mm -hmm. big. So that's all I know about that. But I wanted to mention quickly, the current Nick at Night lineup, it's very insane to me. Because I grew up watching shows as a child that my mom watched as a child. And all Mm -hmm. the shows that I watched in the 90s during the day, or the primetime, shows are now on at Nick and I when my kid is growing up so sometimes and there's a channel called laugh l-a-f-f that has on home improvement and it has like old you know Roseanne before that whole thing is a thing it has a lot of old funny shows even Maud, like the Arthur show before uh, Golden Girls a lot of old old shows are on there so I do make my son sit through those I know that he would rather be watching anime and I don't care because <laughs> these are memories frozen in time people we need to make them today <laughs> Do you remember that line from Can't Hardly Wait, Melissa? Yes, one hundred percent. She's like obsessed with the yearbook. Yeah, like sign my yearbook, and she someone yeah. threw the trash, and she goes, "These are memories frozen in time, people." Yeah. So I pull that out on my child. Um, the current Nick at Night lineup is Full House, Fresh Prince, George Lopez, Friends, Two and a Half Men, and Mom, which is still on. So I don't know why that's on there, but. It is an excellent show. So I just really think that Nick at Night and uh, the stories that you told today are a huge part of our growing yes. up. And I had to bring them up. And and some of the cool backstories that you don't know when you're a kid. And I, we didn't have the internet. So I right. wasn't able to look it up then. I don't know what it is about like the 90s or like that period of my life. But it's like the nostalgia from yeah. that is so strong. And it's like, I don't know. It's just if I could go back to that time, I freaking yeah. would. I don't know if that was because that was like my formative year 
years or whatever. But like everything from that time period just seems so much better than what's going on now. It does. And I've become a different person because we grew up in a really weird time where we grew up with half of our life with no internet, no streaming, no social media, and half of it with it. And so we're like the last, you know, generation that's going to have that, I feel like. And it's, it's a weird thing because now you're right when you said, I don't know what happened to me, but it's the instant gratification that we now get. Yes. It's changed me into the most impatient fucking person because back then I didn't, we got internet in my house dial up when I was 13 and that was, I was still one of the first kids you know, in my neighborhood that had that. So somebody pointed out also when I was doing this research, the 90s essentially brought back the 60s and 70s, the flower power, the peace sign, you know, the bell bottoms. And we're bringing the 90s back now. That is funny. Yeah, We're kind of tying in our Nick at night, like roots of all these, like, you know, the whatever. I don't know. I don't think we'll ever go back to full hairstyles and you're not taking my eyebrows, but. (laughs) Right. Because I know I had one single hair lined over the next single hair, over the next single hair for eyebrows. And that is a trend that needed to die. I'm glad that I, I don't know, never really messed with my eyebrows. Like, I just didn't have eyebrows. They were just, like, full bushes. But, like, if I would have messed with them, like, I would have no eyebrow now. So I shaved the first part of mine off almost so they weren't even close to where they all I will dig up a picture that was like at the time my favorite picture of me my junior or senior year because I look I thought I looked so cute in this picture I have three eyebrow hairs total my hair is crimped I have a tan I have a tan which I get red I don't really get tan so I'm pink three hairs on my face crimped hair bitch I thought you couldn't tell me you're like thin you're like this is it it's it bitch I you wish you were me Mm -hmm. I you can't touch me so yeah but I think it's cool that we can look back on those really innocent times of you know I wrote in a journal every night yes and I just messed around in my room like just oh I had a tv but a Nick and Knight was on and I'd draw and I'd you know reorganize underneath my bed and do these really simplistic tasks that I don't do as much anymore so I do definitely miss the 90s for same sure. now I'm sad and now I'm sad I have to go excuse me while I go cry yeah let, the let's evening. It just end on a sad note yeah my god <laughs> do do you have any recommendations or anything that you can think of anyone needs to check out this week I do it's not related to the 90s though unfortunately That's totally fine. <laughs> um okay so my recommendation is a book it's called on the come up It's by Angie Thomas. This is her second book. The first book she read was The Hate You Give, which was also amazing. They're both young adult novels. I got on the come up like the day it came out and read it in a couple days because it's a pretty quick read. Um, I'm going to read the synopsis real quick. 16-year-old Brie wants to be one of the greatest rappers of all time or at least win her first battle. As the daughter of an underground hip-hop legend who died right before he hit big, Brie's got massive shoes to fill. But it's hard to get your come up when you're labeled a hoodlum at school and your fridge at home is empty after your mom loses her job so brie pours her anger and frustration into her first song which goes viral for all the wrong reasons so basically it's just it's about her living her life trying to be a rapper it's just i feel like both of angie thomas's books are so relevant to the times they're really interesting reads like you don't want to put them down so i definitely think that's something you should pick up and she also wrote the hate you give is that what you said yeah okay i've been meaning to pick that one up as well so I will definitely check those out I do like that one a little bit better the hate you give but they're both really good so 
I definitely want to check those out. That sounds good. I think my recommendation, again, I just listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm not reading anything in particular right now. I've been on this Jane Fonda kick to kind of understand her because they have that HBO Jane Fonda, My Life in Five Acts, where she kind of, you know, there was that Hanoi Jane thing when she was younger with the with the war and she kind of explains some things about her life. And then so I picked up her book. I think it's called My Life So Far. So I thought that was they're both interesting reads, watches and reads. I don't know. I get on these weird, you know, I'm re- who would have thought Jane Fonda, but Grace and Frankie's out on Netflix and it kind of led me down a rabbit hole. So I'm interested in her and I just mostly listen to other podcasts and I really like the mm-hmm. podcast Throwing Shade. It's um, women's issues, gay rights issues, uh, pop culture, you name it. They talk about everything. It's uh, really good. And Aaron Gibson and Brian Safi are the hosts and Aaron Gibson has a book out called Feminasty, which I think is a very important read for women especially, but you know, men are the ones that probably need to read it as well so those are my recommendations for the week awesome i'll have to check those out uh again we just want to thank everybody for listening for sticking with us yes and we cannot be more grateful honestly so if you want to follow us at shallow dive pod on instagram and twitter if you have any suggestions questions comments just please be kind uh shallow dive pod at gmail.com is our email And you can go over to iTunes and rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff, please, if you can take two seconds to do that. Yes, we appreciate it. All right. Well, we will hopefully see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.